0: You are listening to the Tom Eliff podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now here is Tom Eliff. To the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus. This evening, of course, we continue our study through the book of Exodus this coming Wednesday evening. I'm going to be speaking about that command that says, Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. But tonight we're going to answer this question, What's so bad about a graven image anyway? What's so bad about a graven image? What is a graven image anyway? All right, let's stand together. And I'd like for you to read aloud with me the fourth verse, Exodus chapter 20. If you don't have your Bibles, the word are up on the screen. Let's read it together. You shall not make unto you any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Let's pray together. Father, I pray, thanking you that you have given us the privilege of being here together this evening. I thank you, Lord, for what we've heard this evening, for the incredible gift that you have given these ladies to touch our hearts through the medium of music. Lord, thank you for that, and thank you for the fact that they exalted you and not themselves. They turned our attention to you, and Lord, we're grateful for that, and truly we worship. And Lord, we pray your blessing upon these ladies and upon their homes. Now, Lord, bless the breaking of your word to our hearts. I pray your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, Lord. And Father, I pray that when we leave this evening, we'll be different people, because we've heard from you, and Lord, we have determined that by your grace... We will say yes to what you're speaking to our hearts. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. Keep your Bible open to Exodus chapter 20. Now, in our journey through the book of Exodus, we have come to this the first time, one of three times, that what we call the Ten Commandments is shared with the children of Israel. Of course, God is speaking uh, through Moses to the children of Israel, and this morning we saw commandment number one. You'll have no other God before me. Now we come to the second commandment. You shall not make unto you any graven image. That's a carved image. You would think of it as an idol. Now, uh, Ralph Speed said to me, he said, Tom, I went home this afternoon. He said, I all through my house, through all the carvings I might have away of, of anybody you know, didn't want to make sure they didn't have any graven images in my house. I'll have to tell you, since Wilson Beardsley is not here to defend himself, I'll tell you, I have to tell you about one of the most interesting experiences I've had as pastor of First Southern. Wilson and Francis went on a mission trip, and wherever it was that they went, I'm not really sure, they came back, somebody had given them this big bronze, you know, fat-bellied Buddha. You know, you've seen these things, you know, it was on some kind of a ceramic stand. And, and uh, so Wilson and Francis had it over there in their house. I was a brand-new pastor here at First Southern. You know, I mean, it was just something that was given to them by somebody while they were on some mission trip. Well, I was just, you know, uh, sitting in my office one day, and the phone rang, and it was an irate member of First Southern, a person who's no longer a member of First Southern, probably because I didn't settle this the way she wanted settled. She said, Brother Tom, Aren't we supposed to not have any graven images and bow down to them? I said, well, of course, that's what the Scripture says. I mean, no argument about that. She said, have you been to Wilson Beersley's house? I laugh about this now. Wilson thinks this is really clever. He said, have you been to Wilson Beersley's house? I said, well, yeah, I, I, I've, I've been over there. She said, did you know they have an idol over there? I said, no, wait a minute. That's a, you know, I mean, that's something somebody gave them. She said, no, it's this Buddha over there. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll take care of it. So I saw Wilson in the hallway at church. I said, "Hey Wilson," I said, "You got this uh, this Buddha in your house, this this bronze Buddha." He said, "Yeah." He said, "I don't know. That came from someplace. Somebody gave that to us." And he said, uh, "It's sitting over there, you know, along with a lot of other stuff. It's just sitting over there in the hallway of my house." And he said, uh, "I said well, Wilson, there's a there's a, you need to do something about that." I said, "You know," and you know Wilson is so compliant. He said. Well, well, Brother Tom, he said, what was you? I said, I don't know. I'm not going to. I said, you know, it's sort of a silly thing anyway, what this, uh, uh, you know, she was just going on about it. He said, I'll take care of it. Well, I assumed it was taken care of it. About three weeks later, the lady called me back. Well, I'm glad she's not a member of our church now. She called me back, and she said, well, I thought you were going to take care of it. I said, well, I I talked to Wilson. I said, I think we did take care of it. I said, but I'll check with him somewhere." I saw Wilson in the hallway again. I said, Wilson, I said, you know that big-bellied Buddha you got there? He said, yeah. I said, somebody said that that was... The... He said, yeah. He said, but he said, if she was over my house, I said, she should have looked real closely. I said, why? He said, I hung a gold chain around his neck with a cross on it. That's a, that's a Christian Buddha. <laughs> Not exactly what this scripture is talking about. You may think this was a stupid thing for God to, to, to share with the children of Israel. I mean, after all, he had delivered them from bondage and from slavery in Egypt. This incredible experience had begun the exodus. He said, of all the people in the world who would not have graven images, it surely wouldn't be the children of Israel. But I want to remind you that not too many hours pass before Moses is back up on the mountain and the children of Israel have done what? These same people who said, all that the Lord has said to us we will do, these very same people had gone to Aaron and said, make us an idol. And they had made a golden calf and they were bowing down to it and wor- worshiping it in drunkenness and debauchery. And it, you, you'd think, well, surely people wouldn't do that, but they did. And so this is a needed commandment. As a matter of fact, the children of Israel had come out of a country that had myriads of idols and gods, and they bowed down to them. And they were in, they were going into the land of Canaan, the promised land, but the Canaanites also had dozens of gods, and they made idols to these gods. And for some peculiar reason, we're going to see what it is, God said, that won't cut it with me. I don't want you to make of me any graven image. Now, why did he say that? All right, I want you to see four things this evening really quickly, and then we'll come to our invitation time. First of all, let's look at the problem. What is the problem? The problem is that when you, when you made a, a, a goal, an image like, or an idol, you would be worshiping what I, I call this evening a downsized God. I talked to somebody the other day who got in my uh, uh, a new car. You know, it was one of these... Uh, These uh, foreign cars, pronouncing it sounds like a sneeze, you know. And uh, he said, uh, I said, well, man, that's a really nice car. He said, yeah, I've downsized. I've got me something that's a little smaller than what I had. Well, what God is speaking to the children of Israel about here is this business of worshiping a downsized God. God. He says, as a matter of fact, look at it, if you will. And by the way, there are only three commandments that really have uh, an expanded statement in regard to them. This is the first one. He says, don't make unto me or unto you any graven image, anything that's carved, or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that is in earth beneath it or that is in the water under the earth. Don't bow down yourself to them nor serve them, for I... The Lord your God am a jealous God. Now here's the truth that I want you to get. And I hope you'll write this down someplace. And that is the living God is not a product of your imagination. The living God is not a product of your imagination. You see, the gods that a lot of people served in those days and that a lot of people served in these days are just products of their imagination. If you were to go back, for instance, and study Greek mythology, and you see all these Greek gods, and sometimes in parents, by the way, this is one of the, what I think is one of the dangers of just letting your children watch cartoons in an unsupervised fashion, because they're big into this business of gods and goddesses. But if you would if study Greek mythology, what you would discover is that their gods were just exaggerated caricatures of themselves. They were just people, but on an infinitely bigger scale. And as such, they had all the same problems that people have. You know, they lied, and they cheated, and they got angry, and they got, uh, you know, they wept, and they, they had battles. I mean, they were just bigger than life, people why because their gods were born out of their imagination you say that is so silly hey let me tell you something most of the people in this world believe that God is simply what they think him to be see God was saying the children of Israel look I'm bigger than this I am an infinite omnipotent omniscient God I'm not, I'm not a figment of your imagination. I'm not something you've dreamed up. And I don't want you to take something out of the air or on the earth or under the earth and carve it and say, now, now this, this is sort of a pick. This is God. This is, and, and God is contained in this. Because God's not a figment friend of your imagination. But there are a lot of people who think that. Mark Twain, I realize he's a great humorist and great... Author and I realize we read a lot of what Mark Twain has written, Huckleberry Finn, Adventures of Tom Sawyer, you know, and so forth. But you know, Mark Twain was a very profane man. He was not a godly man. He was a very profane man. And uh, he wrote a series of essays one time. Some of you all may have read them. They're called Letters from the Earth. And and, uh, in one of his letters, he expresses what many people feel about God. The letter, there's a little poem, it started out like this. He said, if I were God and God were me, I think that I would kinder be. Now, what was he saying? He said, God's sort of off a little bit. I could do a better job at being God. He was saying, in essence, God is restricted by what or by who I think he is. And I would imagine that even tonight in this congregation, we went around and, and you know, let you stand up and say, all right, tell us how you see God. Some of you all would see him as this grandfatherly figure, you know, who's up in heaven. Some of you see him as a policeman that blows the whistle. Some of you see him as somebody just loving. And and the reason I know this is because, you see, there are people who are sort of pushing God right now. You're violating some of his commandments. You know they're the commandments of God. But you just can't seem to bring yourself to believe that, God's really going to do anything about it. Because, see, the people in your life haven't really done much about you're violating their commandments. And you sort of get by with it. You get by with breaking the speed limit and you get by with saying a few things and doing a few things and, and folks give you lectures but they never do anything and you think that's the way God is. You see, here is the problem. Worshipping a downsized God. Now, What's the purpose of that? Why would anybody want to do that? You see, the purpose of having a downside God is that you're attempting to walk by sight rather than by faith. That's the reason they wanted to have these little gods, something they could carry around with them so they could say, hey, God's with us. Well, where? Well, he's over here. In fact, they would have family gods. If you uh, go to Cambodia, for instance, where the Ellises are, uh, for instance, if we were to say in the, the Goldiana Hotel, which is much like many other hotels, uh, you come down the stairs. What's there? There's a little little God image. There's a little shrine, and uh, you know, every morning people bring a cup of coffee. Apparently, their God likes coffee. I don't know if it's decaf or caffeinated. I don't have any idea? There's a there's a cup of coffee, and there's uh, I think there's some fruit, a banana. Usually it's laid down there. And it just sits there all day. You know, now that works with me. I mean, I can look at food and get fat. But I, I you know, this stuff, just, this stuff just sits there all day. And the next, the next day they come along and they change it. You know, it's another cup of coffee, you know, and a, another banana. And it, and it just sits there. You say, that's, that's so crazy. But see, these people are walking by sight. We're okay. It's there. It's there. Nobody's moved this thing. This is it. This is our place of worship. They are walking by sight rather than by faith. You see, to believe in the God of the Bible, you've got to have faith. Faith is a gift from God. He will give you the gift, the ability to believe in him. You wouldn't even know anything about God if he didn't tell you anyway. You wouldn't even think of God. One One of the best arguments I know against evolution... But you don't need a lot of arguments against evolution. I mean, it's just a bankrupt theory anyway. But one of the best arguments in terms of society is this. Evolutionists believe that man would be a product of the sum total of the events of his past. If that were the case, we would never have for ourselves Laws that were beyond our, our willingness to keep them. But you see, we have had in our system, always out ahead of us, this standard, these principles that are beyond what this sinful heart wants to do. That says what? Somebody gave us those. Somebody put those there. And so people created, you know, they would have these gods. These are our family gods. I could take you to some different places in the scripture. Time doesn't permit tonight. Where, Where are the family gods, you know? Well, we got a little little box of gods over here. We're getting ready to move. And you know, the prophets, they were big on this. They said, you guys are so weird. He said, you'll take a, a tree stump and you'll cut it in two. And out of half of it, you'll make a god. And out of the other half of it, you'll heat your coffee. He said, and you'll worship the god and drink the coffee. What in the world are you talking about? But the idea is we're walking by sight. And there are so many people who do not believe in something. They say, well, unless, you know, seeing is believing. But believing in the God of the Bible takes faith. I want you to write this down someplace there in the margin of your Bible. If your God is simply a product of your imagination, this is why people like to have gods that are products of their imagination. If your God is simply a product of your imagination his desires and his demands and his directions will never exceed what you are already willing to do there'll never be anything out there beyond you because you'll just you'll figure out a god who lets you do what you want to do by the way if you ever come against a god who won't let you do what you want to do and you're you know, you're not a, and you don't believe in God, then you'll just, you'll just disavow God. Let, let me give you a perfect illustration of this. Since I've mentioned evolution a while ago, this just, I just thought of this. Charles Darwin, who said, by the way, on occasion, I really don't see much evidence of evolution anyway. This is not a sermon about evolution, but I'll give you an example. He openly admitted that he and his friends, determined to be atheist and to figure out some other way of, you know, everything happening here on this earth. He said, we did that because we could not believe in a holy God and live life like we wanted to live it." Isn't that interesting? He says, man, if we live life like we wanted and we believe in God, we'd feel guilty for sinning. We would feel responsible for not serving him. We would believe that we had to do what the Bible says if we believed in God. And so why do people, why do these people have these graven images, these, these carved images? Because these images, they're little gods, they're downsized gods, were figment of their imaginations, and so they never received in their life anything more than they were willing to do. And by the way, you study that in Cambodia and these other countries. The principles are what? They're, they're, they're born out of sinful man's heart, and so they're just an accommodation of our sinful living. And you look at the morality in places like this. You know, there'll be strict one moment, and the next moment you can do anything, you can sleep with anybody, you can do anything, there's nothing wrong with that. You see, and that's what's the matter in America. We've got many people who have a God that's out of their own mind. That's the purpose, to walk by sight rather than by faith. It takes faith to believe in the God of the Bible. All right, let's look at the penalty. Quickly, look at the penalty. What is the penalty? He says, all right. He said, when you do that, I am a jealous God who visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Now listen, the first place he's saying here that not accepting me is hating me. Now that's interesting, isn't it? See, there are a lot of people who say, well, I just don't believe in the God of the Bible. I mean, it's not that I hate him or anything. I... I love him and everything. No, Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. There's no middle road. Not to make a choice is to choose against me, but you're either for me or you're against me. But notice the penalty. You see, and I hope you'll grasp this, because God wants what's best for you. Just put this someplace there in your mind. Because God wants what's best for you. He will share your heart with no false god. He knows that having a false god is not in your best interest. And he's not going to let you believe that you can do that and prosper, that you can do that and get away with it. And by the way, isn't it interesting, and dads, I would sort of wake up to this, isn't it interesting that when you, in a cavalier fashion, choose the kind of god you want to believe in, who pays? Who pays? You pay, your kids pay, your grandkids pay, your great-grandkids pay. And you've seen it, haven't you? Again and again and again. It's just not a... a, You know, you say, well, but aren't they individually responsible? Oh, yeah. In fact, the Scripture says God's going to hold each man accountable for his sins. But you cannot deny the influence and the impact of God dealing with a person who hates him and as a result says i want to accept the god of the bible i've got a god thats i've sort of figured out the kind of god i want he'll let me do this and he'll let me do this and i can get by with this and he doesn't care about this and i you know i could just give him sort of token service you get that all figured out god says i want to tell you something you suffer everybody you love suffers that's the penalty for walking by sight rather than faith for worshiping a downsized god. But he says there's a promise. If you choose against that. Let's look at the promise. He says I'll show mercy. I'll show mercy unto thousands of them. Notice the difference. He says now, now this man, his family, his immediate family, his kids, his grandkids, his great-grandkids, you know, they're going to they're going to suffer because of his folly. But he said, I want to tell you something. Look at the, the other side. He said, I'll show mercy unto thousands of them who love me and who keep my commandments. And by the way, as I said this morning, don't think that it's possible for you to love God and disobey him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things? that I say unto you. A lot of people read this, thou shalt not make unto you any graven image. And they're quick to minimize the impact of this commandment by trying to place it in some secular framework. Don't worship your car. Don't worship a TV. Don't worship your job. Don't... well. That too, but there are other commandments for those things. What he's talking about here is creating a God out of your own heart, a downsized God. A God that's no more than you think he is and demands no more than you want him to. God says, by that you show that you hate me. But he said, if you love me and the evidence of your love is that you keep my commandments, You cannot imagine how I will pour out mercy upon you and unto thousands who love me and keep my commandments. So, you see, the issue really boils down to a matter of faith. Here's what faith is. Just just try to capture this in your heart. Faith is doing what God says regardless of what the world says. It's doing what God says regardless of what the world says. And by the way, it's the ultimate expression of our love for God. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. You, you just can't please God without faith. Romans 14, 23 says, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And faith demands that the God about whom you read in the Bible and who is infinitely more than even this book contains is really there. He's really right about all that he does. As someone has said, his laws are like the ingredients on the package of life and you're free to mix them up your way and not his way. But if you mix them up your way and not his, what you get won't be what he pictures on the package. But if by faith you say, God, I believe in you. What you say to me is right. I will obey. By your grace, out of a heart of love, I will obey you, he says then I will show mercy upon you. I won't do what I ought to do. I'll show grace. I'll do something I don't even have to do. I'll pour it out on you and upon thousands. All of that is locked in that command. Don't forget it. Thou shalt not make unto me any graven image. Father... I pray trusting that in these moments your Holy Spirit will bring to our heart and our mind. What what an awful thing it is to confine you to our imagination. To refuse to accept what the Bible says about you or what the Bible says we should do and how we should respond simply because we don't think we want to or because that's not not the kind of God we want to have. Lord, I pray tonight you would strip away the veneer of our pride and our sophistication and cause us to understand that you are a holy and righteous and just God, not simply a product of our imagination. Lord, bring to this altar those who have minimized you, who have sought to worship and to serve a downsized God, a God that required no faith, a God you could serve by walking by sight. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. In just a few moments we're going to stand. We'll sing together a chorus of invitation. This is your personal invitation to come to Jesus. Now listen carefully. When we stand, some folks are going to come to this altar and be seated over here to the right. They've joined our church in recent days. Maybe you were baptized recently or you joined from another church recently. We've not introduced you. I'm going to ask you to come be seated over here to your right where it says seating for new members. Prayer warriors will be coming. Counselors will be coming. But what about you? You see, I believe there's some here in this auditorium who need to come to this altar and say, Lord, I have have had such a puny idea of who you are and I thought I could just get by with all this stuff and that you wouldn't do anything about it because I thought you were confined to my thoughts, my imagination, but you're not. And I see that, that I have, in one sense, I've not taken a chisel and some stone, but I've worshipped a downsized God. I've made a graven image, a God out of my own imagination. And I've only served you the way I just imagined that I would want to be served. And so you need to come and repent of that here at this altar. It could be that you're not a member of this church and God's just been dealing with your heart about joining First Southern. I would encourage you, wherever you are, you may be here tonight for the first time, you may have been here many times, you just come and find one of these counselors and say, Look, I want to join, we want to join this church. Would it be great for you tonight to respond to God in that fashion? And then I believe there are always people in our services, always people in our services, who would have to say, you know, the thing that really bugs me, the thing that really bothers me, is that I don't have the confidence if I died, I'd go to heaven. I want to, I'd like to, no question about it. I think I might, but I don't know for sure. And if I asked you, where were you when you repented of sin and believed in Jesus, you might be hard-pressed to say, you know anything about it? Or when did that happen in your life? You met the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace, the coming Savior. Old things passed away, all things became new. You're on your way to hell, now you're on your way to heaven. You say, I don't have any memory of that. And I'm not sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. I don't know when I repented and believed. Well, dear friend, tonight you can do that. And I want to urge you when we stand and I lead us in prayer, when I say amen, I want to urge you to join others. Just come out down to this altar. Find one of these counselors standing here and just say, look, I'm coming to trust in Jesus. I'm coming to trust in Jesus. And it'll settle it in your life. And you can leave knowing your sins are forgiven. You have abundant and eternal life. They want to pray with you, give you some information. They'll go with you to a private counseling area, give you some information that'll help you grow in your faith. With your head bowed and eyes closed, let's stand together. Father in heaven, I pray, trusting now that your Holy Spirit will just move in this place. Lord, we've worshipped you through music. We've worshipped you through your word. Now, Lord, open our hearts to the truths of your word. Change our lives. Lord, I pray you would not find us callous or cold or determined that you're just going to be the God we think you can be. Lord, help us to melt before you, realizing you're a holy, awesome, infinite God. And you say, I will give you mercy and I will give you grace. Father, I pray that many would come to say yes to you tonight. And I pray it in Jesus' name.